Great special, ladies. Thank you. I love that song. Man, I feel like we've had church already, and I feel like kind of we should just go home. And then being from California, I haven't heard thunder like that. I felt the building quake. I wasn't sure if it was the rapture for a second. And then... And then your pastor got up and said, don't worry about the weather. We've got men taking care of that. I thought this church has people to take care of the weather. Holy cow. I've never been in a church like this before. My soul, Debbie, we're moving here. We grew up. How many of you remember that old Southern gospel song? I know the master of the wind. I know the maker of the rain. You remember that one? I thought he's here. Soul preacher, my goodness, I'm coming. This is awesome. Take your Bibles tonight, turn to Matthew chapter 9. Can you turn me up in the monitors a little bit, just because I like to be in control? Thanks. I love good sound, man. They're great. I was listening. I'm a sound man by training, and I love it because it's a blessing. Uh, sometimes people sound bad when they're singing, and it's just because the sound man's playing, you know, Angry Birds back there, so... Thanks for doing a great job, and I mean that. I love this church. I, I love your pastor. Uh, what a dear friend and a blessing to me and my life. And, and uh, I don't know what you call uh, old brother Prater. Um, what's he called around here? I don't, I don't want to say the wrong thing. Preacher. Okay. Well, that's weird for me to say, but whatever. I love preacher and he preaches for us all the time and our staff loves him and he's been a huge investment in my life. And, and I just love this church and what God is doing here. And uh, so thankful for it. And brother Ferran going to uh, Dublin, Ireland, one of the best days of my life. True story. My daughter and I, I'll tell, actually tell a story about it if the Lord allows it at the end of the message. My daughter, Natalie and I, my youngest daughter, she now teaches at West. Coast Baptist College. Uh, she's one of the, she's the media professor there. But when she was 19, we went to Romania together. We did an Eastern Europe trip, Romania, Serbia, Hungary. And on our way back, we, we wanted to go to London and it just didn't work out uh, to stay there for a few days with some missionary friends. But uh, we got a, a layover in Dublin for eight hours. And we went to downtown Dublin Iron, best fish and chips I've ever had in my life. You should go to Dublin just for the fish and chips. It was amazing. Uh, This cabbie driver took us there. And then we walked around Trinity College and walked around Dublin. And we walked past the courthouse. I don't know why I'm telling you this story, but it kind of gives you insight into it. Dublin had been politically a very conservative country. And we walked past the courthouse, I think, the day that they were having the first gay wedding in Ireland. And um, just an interesting day. We had some tea there because, uh, you know, they're supposed to be famous for it. It wasn't that good. Ours is better. Um, that, that's probably there's a lot of reasons there. And then we left there and we went to it was on the 3rd of July and we went to London. And so in honor of America destroying Britain in the Revolutionary War, we did handstand push-ups at Westminster Abbey. And so we're there one o'clock in the morning doing handstand push-ups. The cops were called. We left. And uh, it was an awesome experience. But I love Dublin, Ireland. I'll be praying for you. And, and I love everything that just happened and, and all of that. And so what a blessing. Matthew chapter 9 in your Bible. I know you've been here for a while. You've been seated for a while. Why don't you stand with me as we read this text? If you guys, are you guys used to that? What do you do, Pastor? Stand. I don't stand, but You don't stand. Well, you're standing now. There you go. Uh, do, did your dad stand? Nope. I had a joke for that one too. All right. 
Matthew chapter 9. Well, if you come to Matthew, the book of Matthew, it's obviously a, a wonderful book in the Bible. It's the longest of all of the uh, Gospels. It uh, tells more about Christ being king uh, and God and dealing with his deity than any of the other Gospels. As a matter of fact, when I work with Muslims, I always encourage them to read the book of Matthew because it identifies Christ as king repeatedly and Christ as God repeatedly. Well, if you come to chapter nine, some it's a it's a it's a packed day. Let me say it this way: it's one of those ministry days that when you're done, you're really done. Like if you've ever worked yourself to exhaustion serving people, that's what this day looked like. I mean, Jesus, when he was done with this day, it was a big day. In verse number two, he heals a paralyzed man. In verse number nine, he calls Matthew to be a disciple and to follow him. And, and we're just breezing over that. But those are major things that go on. You know, sometimes you can tell a, your life story and you get to the, the, the points about your life and people think like, oh, that happened really quick. But really, it's like a, a nine hour or a nine month event. Like women say, oh, I had a baby. No, you had a trauma for days. Can I get an amen? You know, my wife's the only one. Every other one's like, no, it's easy pregnancy around here. It's it's in the water after all, oh, we know the master of the wind. So. But he calls Matthew to be his disciple. He heals the woman in verse number 22 who touched his garment, the woman with the issue of blood. I mean, that's a big event. Again, we read it and sometimes it's just like, oh yeah, but, but he heals this woman with the issue of blood. He heals the ruler's daughter in verse number 25. He heals two blind men in verse number 28. And then he engages in what I think to be the most frustrating part of Jesus's ministry from my perspective. If yours is different, totally fine. But he has to start dealing with Pharisees. Bible says in verse 33, when the devil was cast out of the, out, the dumb spake, we're picking up at the end of this story, the dumb spake and the multitude marveled saying, it was never so seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, he casteth out devils through the prince of devils. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogue and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing. Notice this word. I love this word. Healing. He quantifies what he did. He healed every sickness. And every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray you therefore the Lord of the harvest that he'll send forth laborers into his harvest. This is a powerful passage. We're going to study it for a few minutes. We'll keep you long tonight. I, I want you to be able to get home and be back tomorrow night. So you may be seated as we jump right into this text. Normally I'd give a lot of illustration, but I think that's probably been established. In verse number 34, the Pharisees are attacking Christ. It's an illogical argument that they make that he's casting out devils through the prince of devils. I want you to notice something tonight when dealing with ministry and dealing with detractors that Jesus was undeterred by their criticism. 
The detractors said to Jesus after a long day of ministry and after a long day of giving himself to the people and a long day of serving people and healing people. Again, this is a powerful thought in verse number 35 of every sickness and every disease. Literally, here's the idea. When Jesus is seeing sick people, he heals them. When he's seeing blind people, he heals them. He goes about everywhere doing this. He's ministering in a great way. Now, now we read that after, but before we see example after example after example of him ministering to folks. And when he's ministering to people, here's the religious, pharisaical, and by the way, these were, were well-respected people, the Pharisees were, but they were, they were very committed to their cultural religion, so much so that they were unaffected by the message of the Messiah. And when they see the Messiah working and worried about their own loss of power and their own loss of influence and their own loss of authority in an effort to keep said influence, power, and authority, they begin to attack Christ. And how do they attack him? They say he's casting out devils, something they had never seen before. He's casting out devils through the prince of devils or by the power of Satan. I mean, that's a bold criticism. By the most religious People in the area. You got to think about that. Put your mind in an Eastern mindset, an Eastern line of thinking. And they're saying, yes, he's doing something, but the way that he's doing it is invalidated. The way that he's doing it is all wrong. This guy is Satan incarnate. That's exactly what they're saying. And Jesus, I love this, in this passage doesn't even address them. You say, well, what's the point for us? I don't know that there is. No, there's one. Here's the point. The point is when it comes to missions, and maybe I'm speaking to missionaries here, but I'm speaking to people who give to missions as well. There are going to be people who say, why are you doing that? Why are you giving that? Why are you giving that much money? Why do you do that? Don't you find that as ridiculous? Don't you have better things to spend your money on? I mean, come on. Isn't there other things you could do? You know what? Jesus was not, listen to me, he was not moved by the criticism of the crowd. We have some people in our church, one of our assistant pastors, he doesn't make a lot of money, his boss is stingy. Um, No, he does really well, but he got burdened, pastor, about four years ago to support missions more. And he's probably one of the more well-paid assistant pastors in the country. And he told me four years ago, he said, Pastor, my goal in life is to start this business and to be able to give 100% of my income to the cause of global missions through Canyon Ridge Baptist Church. I won't tell you how much he makes. He makes less than than six figures, but he makes in the high five figures if you include the decimal point. (laughs) Kidding, I'm kidding, without the decimal point. And so he he began to study, began to research, and he comes to me one night, he says, I I think I'm going to start this real estate syndication type of a thing. Pastor, what do you think about that? And we really prayed about it for a while. We talked, we had some conversations, and and I said, I I mean, I I don't have a problem with it. Just be careful that you do what you're committed to do. And he and his wife prayed about it. They talked about it. Pastor, this year he will give over $50,000 in missions giving. 
And some people are like, why are you doing that? You could live in a much bigger house. You could have much bigger yard. I mean, San Diego yards are like two squares of your carpet, you know. You could have a much bigger yard. You could have all of these things. Why would you do that? Why would you give that? And his answer has been the answer of Jesus here. Not even to identify or focus on the criticism. God has given me a mission. God has given me a calling. God has given me an objective. And I'm moving forward. And I'm not worried about what you say. I'm not worried about what you say. I'm worried about what he said. This week, we're asking you to give by faith. We'll talk about that a little bit more tomorrow night. We're asking you to give by faith. And if people find out about it, they'll think you're crazy. I don't know if we have any accountants in the room, but they are all of Satan. We must have some. You need to turn in your sin card. Here's, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I guess I love accountants. I'm told I have to. They always audit us and help us out that way. They're a blessing. But here's what happens oftentimes is at the end of the year, we show our accountant how much we've given. And he's a Christian and he's a blessing and he's a brother in the Lord. And I love him to death. But he's like, how in the world are you able to do that and live like that? I, I don't have another client like you guys to which we say to God be the glory. Jesus was undeterred by criticism. Notice verse number 35. He went in all the cities and villages. He's teaching uh, in their synagogues. He's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He's healing every sickness. He's healing every disease among the people. And then verse number 36, a life-changing passage. Many of you know it. But when he saw the multitude in the midst of his ministry, he got, he, he, let me rephrase it. He didn't lose sight of the people in the midst of his ministry. He's ministering, he's working, he's serving, he's healing people. But when he saw the multitudes, now in my mind, it works this way. You can think however you want to think about it, but in my mind, it works this way. I've been outside of Capernaum. He's in Galilee of the Gentiles, an area that is prone or open at that time to the gospel. It's prone and open to new ideas. They weren't like the, 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 the stingy or the, the rigid, uh, Pharisees of, north in, or, or in Jerusalem, but in Galilee of the Gentiles, they were more open to thought. They were more open to new ideas. And Jesus looks out. And in my mind, he's on a hill overlooking some of these, these people. They say there were about 2 million people in that area at the time. And Jesus is overlooking these people when they're there. And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved. Here's what the Bible says, with compassion. Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he to the disciples, the harvest is plenteous. He's moved with compassion. Now, in the Bible times, in this era, first century and even beyond, the seed, what we call the seed and center of human emotion, was the gut or the bowels. For us, it's the heart. It's like you'll say around, hopefully you say it every day to your spouse. I love you with all of my heart. You quantify the love with the object of your heart. Uh, I, I love you with, with, with every fiber of my being. My, my heart breaks when I don't get to be around you. We love somebody with our heart. It's the seed and center of our emotions. I mean, on Valentine's Day, I hope you give your, your beloved a, a piece of nasty chalky candy that says, be mine in the shape of a heart. I mean, right? That's the seed and center. In Christ's day, it was the bowels. Which provides for a lot of humor for a guy like me. 
Baby, I love you with my large intestine. Can you imagine Luther Vandross singing about your colon? Oh, I'm in Kansas. Can you imagine, I don't know, who's a country singer? Tyler Prater singing about your colon. I don't know. I, I'm just all Southern gospeled up tonight. I hadn't heard that in a while. That was awesome. I love it. I love your bass player because he plays the bass like all bass players does with no emotion. I don't know where he's at tonight, but don't stop, man. That provides me a tremendous amount of joy. I love it. It's like watching our pianist at our church. They've never smiled while playing anything about the Lord. The joy of the Lord. But can you imagine that? I mean, that's the idea of the day. They're moved in their gut. They're, They're moved in their bowels. And when Jesus is moved with compassion, just a clear translation of that word means this. I was moved in my gut. Let me illustrate it this way. Maybe you've lost a loved one, unfortunately, horribly, but it happens, obviously. And you're so, you're so moved in your, in your bowels that you can't eat. And it's almost like, and this happens to people regularly, almost like you're going to throw up and there's much pain. Uh, There's a fight between spouses. There's much pain in the intestine area. It's a much more accurate description than what we use for the heart as the seat of emotion. But Jesus, here's what the Bible says. He is moved with compassion. He's moved in his gut. That word goes on, and because it happened to Jesus, I'm going to take some liberty to explain it. It, it literally, the idea of that word is to be so emotionally distraught that you begin to pull your hair out. To pull your hair out. Not in like an emotional distress type, like out of control, but Jesus is pulling his hair out at the idea or the thought. He's not literally pulling his hair out, but that's the level of emotion that he has because of the condition of the people. When he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion. Why was he moved with compassion? Well, the scripture says in verse 36... Because they fainted. They fainted. That word literally means they were weary. They were fatigued. They were tired. They were exhausted. They had nothing left to offer. He was moved with compassion because they fainted. It's a, a, a fatigue which results from being burdened. And Jesus saw the people burdened with the rites of religion and the burden of the doctrine of the Pharisees. And they were sinking down under the, the weight of, of their traditions. And they were neglected by those who were supposed to care for them. I mean, these people were supposed to care for their souls. These people were supposed to care for their well-being. These people were to teach them the doctrine of the Old Testament, which would point to the Messiah. But, but they'd given all of that up. And so these people that Jesus is talking to in Galilee of the Gentiles were running from religion to religion, from place to place, from thought to thought. I mean, and they're just running and running and running. And Jesus sees that. And he's moved with compassion because they're weary, they're fainted, 
and they're scattered abroad. The word scattered abroad literally means that they're lying about. I, I do CrossFit. Don't make fun of me. I don't need any memes. I've seen them all. You say, why do you do CrossFit? Because I'm an athlete. That was supposed to be funny at our church. They would laugh. Thank you. If you think it's supposed to be funny, it probably is. If it's inappropriate, we'll stare at you like you're really bad. Um, no, we, we, it's supposed to be funny. Uh, I'll stop doing CrossFit when I'm no longer an athlete, at which point I'll take up either golf or baseball. Sorry, Kelby. Sorry. Sorry. I'll, I'll take it up then. I hope we don't have any golfers. Do we have any golfers in here? Any golfers? Nobody that's about to raise it. One girl that's raising her hand like, I'm a golfer. Great. So you and I can play together. I'll probably lose. But I, I, do, I do CrossFit, and at the end of some workouts, if you've ever done it, when you're done, and this happened to me Monday before we left to come here, when you're done, you just lay on the ground. And people are like, oh, what are you, what are you doing? Uh, trying not to die. <laughs> was it that bad? Oh, it was that bad. People say, I never want to feel that way. If you feel that way, like you never want to feel that way, don't do CrossFit, because you wouldn't do it right. And I feel that way. I'm about to die. Weary and fainted. I'm not scattered abroad. I would like to be scattered abroad, but I literally, I cannot move. I'm literally just exhausted to the point of not being able to move sometimes. I mean, that's how it is. That's how Jesus viewed these people. Why? Well, there were four major religious sects in that day. There was the Pharisees that we all know about, right? I mean, you've been in church for, you know, a couple of months. You've probably heard if you have a Bible preaching pastor, which obviously you do, and you had a Bible preaching preacher. Uh, and so you've heard about Pharisees. You have Pharisees. They were the religious, if you will, the, the rigid religious people. And they had come up with about 5,000 laws to help you keep the Ten Commandments and 5,000 man-made rules. By the way, just to help you, people sometimes say, Jesus didn't keep the law. No, Jesus kept every single thing of the law and he fulfilled it. What Jesus didn't keep was some of the man-made laws that man came up with to try to force compliance into the law of God. Jesus kept every law of God. He did not keep every law of man. Just so that you understand. I don't have time to go into it all, but that's the reality. But you had the Pharisees. These were the the rigid, rigid folks. You had the Pharisees. And then let's just say that this plant represents the Sadducees. No, we won't do that. We'll do these guys, the Essenes, all right? These guys are the Essenes. The Essenes were the independent Baptists of the day. (laughs) So let's be funny. We're going to warm up. But the Essenes were separatists is big time separatists. They separated from the entire world. They didn't want to be around anybody. They went so far as to move out into some far off place and have these little like com- communes. Now, now it wasn't like a cultic commune, but it was a, just a place where nobody would come. They would leave the world alone and they asked the world to leave them alone. They were the Essenes. You had another political religious group called the Zealots. The Zealots were a group of Jewish people that hated Roman occupation. So the Zealots wanted to destroy the Roman occupation of Israel. So they were guerrilla, they were practiced guerrilla warfare. They were fighters. Probably, you know, Barabbas, many people believe that Barabbas may have been a zealot trying to start an insurrection against Rome so that the nation of Israel could be freed from that. They were the Zealots. 
And then you had the Sadducees. They were the theological liberals. That means they didn't believe the Old Testament. They kind of practiced their own thing. They were like the theological liberals of our day. They had a lot of money. They had a lot of power. They had a lot of influence. You had the Sadducees. Those are the four major thoughts, religious groups of the day. And Jesus is watching these people, 936, and he's moved with compassion. Why? Because they fainted and were scattered abroad. So I tried to illustrate, I'm trying to illustrate this in my office one day, and this is how I thought. Tanner, come help me. I didn't think of Tanner in my office, but I'm thinking of him now. So Jesus is watching. Let's go over here. Go, 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 go. go. Didn't, weren't you an athlete in high school? Walk faster. That's a Pharisee. Yeah. Yeah. You went to Heartland. You know Pharisees. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Hope that's not online. I went there too. You're allowed to joke around with what you are. All right. Wait till I start talking about my parents. Um, See, here's the rule of comedy. You bring it right up to the line and you don't go over it. I'm never quite sure where that line is. So let's take this one offline. I didn't mean that at all. It's just a funny line in my head. (laughs) It's funny in his head because he knows what's about to be said about me. So, but they start out as Pharisees and it wasn't working for them. No, no, did you hear me? It wasn't working for them. Why wasn't it working for them? Because man-made religion doesn't work. So they're tired of being a Pharisee. So what do they do? Well, let me try something else. I'm going to go be in a seeing. I'm going to move out in the middle of nowhere. No one's going to bother me and I'm not going to bother anybody. I'll just live my own life and that's where I'll find peace. I'll find God on the lake. I'll find God in the mountain. I'll find peace that way. Well, that doesn't work. So people always overcorrect. So they overcorrect to the zealot side. Well, now I'll try to ruin the Rome. But after a while, guess what? Kind of that whole political argument and fighting and all that, that doesn't work. So I'll become a theological liberal. I'll change what I believe. I'll I'll remove Bible doctrine or, or Old Testament doctrine. I'll remove everything and I'll just try to get power and money. That's what I'll try to do. But guess what? That doesn't work anymore. So what am I going to do? Well, I didn't get the whole Pharisee thing right. So I'm going to go back to being a Pharisee. Now you got to walk faster because pastor told me I have to be done at a certain time. No, he didn't. I'm messing with you. And he's a Pharisee for a while. Well, that's a failure again. There you go. You're a good young man. Way to go. And he, and he tries the ASEAN route again. That doesn't work. And then he tries the zealot route again. And I'm going to do this. Well, that doesn't work. So now he goes. And he tries that. And, and now he's defeated more quickly. It's failed more quickly. He understands more quickly it doesn't work. But because he has a passionate desire to know God, and because God has put a seed in his heart, Romans chapter 1, and there's a desire in his heart to know his creator, he's trying to figure it out. And there ought to be somebody in this nation of God's chosen people who can tell me somehow to find God, but it ain't working, so he's going to try it again. And he's just going to keep trying it. He's not going to stop. He's not going to stop. Yeah, there you go. You you could touch every one. Go faster. Go faster. There you go. Act like you're running lines. When I'm done with you, I'll tell you. You'll know. And so he's just, he's just, they're just running. Come on. Come on. I didn't say stop. 
And Jesus is on top of a hill somewhere. This is how it works in my mind. Thanks, Tanner, for being part of in my mind. Jesus is on top of a hill somewhere. And it, come on, jog like you were an athlete. I know somebody who should try CrossFit. Um, and Jesus is there and he's watching. And this, in my mind, this is how it works. Tanner represents all the people of Galilee of the Gentiles. They're running from thing to thing to thing, trying to find fulfillment, trying to find meaning, trying to find purpose. And they've been running literally for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And Jesus stands on top of a hill somewhere with his disciples with them. And he looks at that and he's so, listen, he's so moved by this. That he begins to be moved in his bowels, pulling his hair because they're, they're, they're fainting and being scattered abroad. They're trying everything the world is offering them and there's no fulfillment at all. They're no closer to God than they were when they started and they're literally exhausting themselves Thank you. to the point where they're just scattered abroad. Lay down. That's it. That's how Jesus views them. That's how Jesus, not not Chris Chadwick. That's how Jesus views the people of Dublin, Ireland. Or Argentina. Or all over the world. Or liberal Kansas. Or San Diego, California. They're fainted and scattered abroad. And this is how he quantifies it. Watch this. Look at verse number 36. They're fainted and scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. You know what sheep without a shepherd are? Dinner. They're dinner. Sheep are stupid. I don't mean that rudely. I'm not trying to be unkind. They're just dumb animals that need constant care and constant protection and constant guidance. If you don't think so, get one. And Jesus views these folks as sheep without a shepherd waiting for ultimate destruction. Therefore... I mean, come on, we all know hermeneutics enough, even if you don't know the name, find out what the therefore is there for. Because of how Jesus views them, therefore, verse number 38, said he unto them, or 37, the harvest truly is plenteous. There's a lot of tanners in this world. There's a lot of people running in this world. Oh, come on, Chris. We don't have any Pharisees. Come here, let's play this again. I'll be like nine minutes and we're done. I said like. We don't have Pharisees, but, but you know what we have? Uh, we have the desire for wealth today. We have world religions that turn you away from God. We have outright atheism. We have quote unquote Christians who worship politics. And they're 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 running 
from thing to thing to thing to thing as, listen to me, sheep without a shepherd. So this is what Jesus says. I view him. You don't have to lay down this time. Matter of fact, give Tanner a big hand. Would you do that? Way to go. He's 20-something years old, and he ran 200 meters, so good job. No, seriously, I appreciate it very much. Because <laughs> I used to do that when I was younger. So I appreciate him doing that, because I really would faint and be scattered abroad. Uh, Therefore said Jesus unto them. Notice the text. The harvest is plenteous. It's plenteous. It's there. Well, what's the problem? The laborers are few. In a farming community like this, I have to explain this verse in San Diego all the time because we don't really like harvest like they do or like you do. We wait for the avocados to fall off the tree. We pick our lemons off the tree. I mean, that's just how we live. That's the story of our life. But here, you know that when it's harvest season, it's harvest season. And you've got to get whatever the crop is in. You've got to get the crop in during the harvest season. So now some of you that are farmers or you've worked on farms. Now, I mean, you're working into the night. I've driven past fields in the middle of the night and seen giant lights on and combines and trailers and and trailers lined up. Why? Because it's harvest season and we've got to do everything we can with the time we have to get the crop in during the harvest season. So when Jesus uses in an agrarian culture there in Galilee of the Gentiles, in an agrarian culture, when Jesus says the harvest is plenteous, every disciple's ears perk up because they've been working all year for a plentiful harvest. That's why they planted in the spring and weeded in the summer and irrigated throughout the the month so that when harvest season came, they would have plenty to harvest. And now that Jesus says the harvest, this is Jesus' way of saying, like with exclamation points, truly, or or truly, like like he's drawing arrows to it, truly is plenteous. Oh, it's a plenteous harvest? Yes. How do I get in on that? Let's see the harvest. Well, we can't get it all in right now. Why can't we get it all in? Because the labors are few. Because the labors are few. I hear people all the time saying, I don't think people want to hear the gospel anymore. That's not what Jesus said. He said the harvest is plenteous. But the labors are few. So what do we do? Pray you therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. That he'll do what? No, that he'll send laborers into his harvest. Well, well, what does that mean? That means pray that God will send people to go into the harvest field and harvest the crop to bring the crop into the Father's house. Well, what's the crop? Well, we're following the metaphor here, obviously, and the crop are the souls of men. And Jesus is saying, pray that God will send people into the harvest to bring in souls so that they can hear the gospel and their life can be forever transformed. Oh, yeah. 
yeah. Hey, in my mind, that's just what I see the disciples doing. This is what I see them doing. It's just the Chris way of thinking. I'll pray about that. Yeah, that's good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray right now about that, Lord. I'll pray for that. But you know the Bible, when it was written, was not written in chapters and verses. How many of you knew that? Like, it was just written in a letter. Like, it wasn't written in chapters and verses. This is one until, it wasn't until 1300, till a Scottish theologian broke up the Bible into chapters and verses, which we are very, very thankful for. Can you imagine if I said tonight, find the book of Matthew and the word but? That would have been here a long time. So we're very thankful, but the chapter verses and divisions are not inspired. They are not preserved. They're one dude's opinion. And can I be honest with you? I think he got this one wrong. You say, why? Well, because chapter 10, verses 1 to 15 really connect with what Jesus is saying in verse number 38. Pray you therefore the Lord of the harvest. They go, they go to bed. And when he called unto him his 12 disciples, this is the very next thing that happens. He gave them power against unclean spirits to cast out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. And he names the disciples. And these 12, verse number 5, sent Jesus forth and commanded them saying... Go not into the way of the Gentiles and do any city of the Samaritans enter you not, but go rather to the lost house of Israel. And as you go, preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Here's what happens. Jesus is moved with compassion. They see probably until, uh, until the garden, uh, when Christ sweat as it were, great drops of blood, the most emotional that Jesus would be, at least in, in scripture. I, I don't think there's another time when he's, when he has a more emotional, we don't like the word breakdown down because he's Christ, but a more evidence of his humanity emotionally than at any other time in the gospel. They see that. And, and as soon as they, uh, they see that that's on their mind. And the very next thing Jesus does is sends them out to the house of Israel to preach the gospel. And here's the thing. Listen to me now. 100% of them obey. They go. How many? 100%. 100%. Well, Pastor, this is mission conference. This is about giving to missions. No, this is mission conference. This is about being a missionary. I can't help but think that just in my mind, the way my mind works is that there's probably some young couples in this room that God doesn't want you to die in liberal Kansas. He wants you to die for the cause of Jesus Christ in some really needy area in part of some part of the world. We live in a rich country. We live in such a rich country that some weirdos like me spend hundreds of dollars on pens. We are a wealthy people. I mean, it's, you say, well, we live in Kansas. We're not wealthy like you Californians. Oh, no, I've seen your cars. Our people Uber to church. We have people ride skateboards to church. We, we, we have people who walk to church. We have people who are so godly, they don't even come to church. They watch us online. <laughs> I'm being foolish. Mission, but, but this is what I believe. I believe in the American church today, we have way less problem giving than we do going. 
I believe that young men and women today have no problem building a business and giving a huge portion of that to the cause of Jesus Christ and saying, hey, my part is to give. I'll let somebody else go. Can I tell you, if we don't do something pretty quick, we're not going to have many more people to support. By all the research that I can do, as of right now, there are only 5,000 independent Baptist missionaries around the world, and there are only 29,000 missionaries from any evangelical organization the world over. Last data that we could find. Missionaries are coming home almost three to one of the ones that are going. We have more money than we've ever had, but if I could be really honest with you, it's really hard just to find people that want to go. You say, well, we've got a couple missionaries here. Praise God for that. We thank God for that. But can I be honest with you? Three missionaries aren't going to make the impact in the harvest that Jesus wants to make. You say, well, what kind of impact should we make? Well, everybody should do what God has called them to do. And whatever God's called you to do, do it. And when Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, he doesn't give commands without opportunities to obey them and without a desire to fulfill it. And if people would be obedient to the command of the great commission, then can I tell you, I believe with all of my heart, our world would be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You say, well, what's my life going to make a difference in? I don't know, but maybe it'll make a difference in one person's life. Probably have a bigger influence than you could ever imagine. I mentioned, uh, trip to Romania with my daughter Natalie. We were in Timisoara 2019, I think it was, 18 or 19, and uh, where the revolution started. And we met a bunch of people and I preached at a church and we were doing outreach at the university. It was awesome. I loved it. Loved it. It was fantastic. Went to Serbia. Loved it. Went to Hungary. Loved that. I really liked Hungary because they really like weightlifting. And so as I'm walking down the street, people are like asking for my autograph and stuff. They're like, are you a celebrity in America? Oh, yeah, a lot of people know me. And so <laughs> a lot's relative. We had a good time. It was fun. And then one night, uh, the missionary said to me, he said, now, we have church on Sunday afternoon, he's, or Sunday morning and Sunday afternoon. On Sunday night, we're going to go to a gypsy village, and I'm going to have you preach in a gypsy village. And I was like, like, like what do you mean gypsy? Like, like, he's like, like gypsies? Don't you know gypsies? He's like, they're in every city of the world. And I'm like, oh, I, I don't, yeah, okay, great. And uh, that'll be fun. And, uh, and I really thought we were like having a circus or something. I, 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 I was just so, I had such, I was so ignorant of the, of the issue. And so we go into this village and let me tell you, it was, it was as poor as you could imagine. It was poverty at a level outside of Southeast Asia that I'd never seen. And we walk into this village and I, I meet the missionary that's there and he's this old man pastor. He's, he's, let me phrase it, the older I get, the younger he gets. He was upper middle age. He was like 67. And he had been in the mission field for working with gypsies for quite some time. Met him. He takes me to this village that he's been working in for well over 20 years. Well over 20 years. We're going to have church. There was like 50 people there. And he said, just so you know, this is a record attendance. I was like, oh, that's awesome. Why are they here? He said, they have come to see the American. I said, why? Why did they come to see the American? He goes, because they've heard about Donald Trump. I was like, oh, great. (laughs) So I did this all night long. Um, 
And we were there, shared the gospel with them. It was an awesome experience. It was an awesome experience. Got to work with a special needs girl whose parents thought she was possessed by a demon. Uh, they barely fed her. She slept like in basements of houses. I mean, it was a horrific experience. She hadn't bathed in weeks. And I'm really sensitive to smells. And she came to ga- give me a hug. And I, I started dry heaving right there. And I was just like, oh. And my daughter Natalie's like, so I handed her back to Natalie and Natalie hugged her. I was so proud of my daughter. She hugged her and then Natalie started dry heaving and I just turned and walked away. Um, but loved the girl, loved her to death. Um, later, my daughter Judith got to go there and spend a semester in Romania and minister to that little girl. So great. And as we left, I said to the missionary, I said, that's one gypsy village. I said, how many more are there? And he just laughed. As we drove back that night, he said, you see those lights? Yeah, Gypsy Village. You see those lights? Yeah, Gypsy Village. You see those lights? Yeah, Gypsy Village. And probably about 50 to 100 Gypsy Villages were there. And I said to him, now, does this missionary reach all of those? He goes, oh, no. Those are very unreached. Nobody's probably ever preached the gospel in those villages. And I looked at him and I said, never? He goes, as near as we can tell. I said, why don't you go? He said, "I, I don't have the time. I don't have the bandwidth. I'm pastoring this church. I'm helping with this church. I got a Bible college. We're sending kids out. He said, we're trying to get to him, Chris. We just don't have time. It wasn't too long ago that that older missionary that was working with them suddenly passed away. I say that to say this, that, that I think if Jesus were here and he saw those folks in Romania, he would probably be moved with compassion because they are fainting and scattered abroad. I would say that he would probably come to San Diego, California, where we're the most unchurched city in the United States. And in our city of 1.3 million people, we have three independent Baptist churches, and we have very few Bible-preaching churches. And on a weekly basis, a weekly basis, I share the gospel with people that tell me, that's the first time I've ever heard that in my life. And I'm talking adults, college students, folks in the military. Oh, I've never heard that. I've never heard that. You mean Jesus would do that for me? Are you serious? Really? We've been preaching to people for years now. Years. One guy has been in our church. He's not been there about a year. Every Sunday morning. Does not know Christ. First time he heard the gospel was at our church. And we've been working with him for over a year. I just want you to know, the rest of the world, and liberal Kansas included, has people who are fainting and scattered abroad as sheep without a shepherd. They don't get the wonderful privilege of being inside the four awesome walls of Fellowship Baptist Church, liberal Kansas, and hearing the gospel on a regular basis. No, they are literally like sheep without a shepherd. Well, what what can be done about that? Well, there's two things according to the text. Number one, pray. Number two, go. Well, can we do something more? No, I don't. Jesus doesn't give a third option. Everyone, everyone should desire to go somewhere and, and shed the light of the gospel of Christ for people who've never heard. Everyone. Well, well, but I have a business and I have a family and mom and dad are here and this is here and that is here. I get it. We had all that too. 
But there's an Xavier Padilla in San Diego, California that grew up in a Baptist church in liberal Kansas that needed a church in San Diego because he's joining the Navy. And if we don't grab him, the world will. And I don't mean the world will grab him next week. The world will grab him today. And if there's not somebody there to share the gospel today, to share the light of the glorious truth, and I don't mean just the salvific gospel. I also mean the sanctifying gospel, the binding gospel, the hope of eternal life that looks forward to the coming Christ. There's going to be another young Christian sailor who's lost to the world and never returns. Why? Because Chris and Debbie Chadwick want to stay in beautiful Amarillo, Texas, in a beautiful house that we paid only $55,000 for, which in San Diego would cost $5.728 million. I'm kidding. It probably wouldn't be that much, but it'd be expensive. And, 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 and they need, he needed somebody to start a church and men to minister and women to minister and people to share the hope and folks praying that God would send them into the harvest field. You, you say, what's your view for young men like Savior? That he'll be a missionary somewhere, that the, that the military will pay for it, and then he'll go somewhere, and that you'll go somewhere, and that I'll go somewhere, and that we'll all do what God wants us to do. We'll all give. Tonight ain't about giving. Tonight's not about giving. Tonight's about surrender. Will you? God, here's my life. I'm giving it all to you. What's the old saying? Only when life will soon be passed only what's done for Christ will last. Everybody participated in this. Will you? Will you? I could never do what you do. Man, I wet myself my first speech in high school. I couldn't talk to save my life. I was as nervous as they come, vomited like mad to talk in front of friends that I told jokes to every single day. If God can use me, God will use you. If God can provide for me, God will provide for you. And if God has called me, God has called you. I don't know where he's called you. I don't know what he's called you to do. But there's no doubt in my mind he has called you. The question of the hour is, are you surrendered to it? Father, bless our time in the word. We thank you.